Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. Week 7 is in the books and it turns out it's one of the craziest of the season so far. Several of the teams in the AP Top 10 ended up losing. <laughs> Georgia being among them, number 2 Georgia, number 6 West Virginia, Penn State loses, Washington loses, other teams get a scare, plenty more in the AP Top 25 lose. This was the week that we've been waiting for. This is college football crazy week. And that was no more true than in the Big 12. Texas Tech beats TCU 17-14, to and we'll make sure and talk about that at length with a special guest, actually, sportspage.com's Dean Straka. But then also... Texas goes down to the wire with Baylor. Now, they lose Sam Ellinger in the first quarter of this game, but Baylor is seconds away from being able to win this football game, which I don't think anybody really expected. Oklahoma State gets absolutely trounced by Kansas State. It was a weird week. It was a real weird week. But let's go ahead and get right into it. We've got a great guest with uh, joining the program right now. SportsAge.com's Dean Straka will talk Texas Tech versus TCU and talk about what the heck is wrong with TCU right now. And I'll be back with you after the break to talk about a couple other topics as well. We got a special guest today. We've got Dean Straka over here from SportsPage.com. Dean, how are you doing? Trying to process what just happened right now. I think like all of us are, uh, a little bit stunning uh, to see an offense like Tech uh, only get 17 points and, uh, and still win a game. Yeah, As you were saying. if you told me that the final score was 17-14, to 14, I would think there's no way in heck that Texas Tech is a team that wins, right? Not at all. <laughs> but Texas Tech, they do. They make enough plays down the stretch to win. Uh, Jet Duffy, of course, came into the year as a third-string quarterback. He starts for Texas Tech, and actually, they pulled him at halftime, but McLean Carter, the original opening day starter, they said wasn't quite ready, wasn't quite, uh, quite planting correctly. But Duffy plays all right, 13 of 24, 190 yards and a touchdown, does throw an interception, but also adds 83 yards and another touchdown on the ground, which is exactly what you needed him to do. But on the TCU side, the offense just really never was able to get going. Uh, Sean Robinson had kind of the whole Sean Robinson experience, right? Mm -hmm. Two passing touchdowns, a bunch of rushing yards, 42 rushing yards, but also some really critical turnovers, especially one at the very end of the game. And, and, and let's talk about that play. We were down on the field when it happened, and we couldn't really tell what was going on. You had a better view than me, I think, from where you were. Yeah, and it wasn't a great view. So Sean Robinson, of course, has the ball. It's a run play or with maybe a pass option. He's rolling out. He looks like he's about to get a first down, but then he gets met by a bunch of Texas Tech uh, defenders. This is fourth and one, by the way, so he has to make something happen. Mm-hmm. He reverses field just totally looks like he's losing the Texas Tech defense and then the ball just comes out what happened yeah I mean my initial thought was Damus Winston in the Rose Bowl a few years back to be <laughs> quite honest with you but um you know I've, I've never seen a TCU team I think under this staff have this much trouble with ball security right as I've seen dating back to Texas really you had I think what two fumbles in that game uh you had in his not in his games you had a what am I saying you had Artavius Lynn's hurdle that didn't work out against Iowa State in the fumble. Right, right. Shot out a fumble that. And, and then you had, I, you know, what, like, like, what, three tonight? I mean, that's just something that I never thought I would see under um, a team coached by Gary Patterson. And uh, it's just kind of hard to, hard to comprehend, really. 
yeah, um, for it, a team that began, I think, ranked, what, 16th in the country? I never right, thought this would be the case right. this year. And sure enough, here we are. Well, and, and I don't want to harp on Sean Robinson too much because Lord knows everybody is right now. And But ultimately, in the last five games, he has 12 turnovers on his own. 12 on his own. You can't win football games like that. Granted, that one pick wasn't his fault tonight, in my opinion. No. But you but, have a good point, though, nonetheless. Yeah, well, well, you know, you can say that the one pick wasn't his fault. Um, and can, uh, But, you know, at the same time, there were a couple of other plays. There was the fumble that probably should have been a turnover. There was that interception that nearly happened at the end of the game that probably should have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, again, if it's one game, you know, maybe you can make excuses for that. But I don't know if you can after five games. You would think, too, with, you know, Kenny Hill being here as a student coach that Shaw may have had some extra maybe confidence that um, – that otherwise he wouldn't have had because Kenny kind of had the same thing. He had that really tough year where he had turnovers galore in 2016 and then he turned it on last year. Um, but, yeah, really, I mean, it is just stunning how it has kept up game after game, really dating back to, I guess there's the SMU game where he had that pick to begin the second half in right. Iowa State. I mean, it wasn't as bad as it's been the last three games. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be time for a QB change soon. I mean, Gary said after the game that it's still Sonny's call. Uh, it could be Gary's call at some point, but he didn't say that, that would be the case sooner or later. Um, but, but certainly you would have to think that you really are going to have questions now, serious questions about, okay, who are we going to have under center uh, going forward? Because they're 3-3, three and three, uh, two Big 12 losses. You can't really do much uh, more damage without really, really hurting yourself going forward. Well, and TCU has been one of the most consistent programs, not just in the Big 12, but in all of college football over the past couple of years. And, and I think that's what's so surprising to me. When, when you watch that game out there against Texas Tech, you're seeing missed tackles in the open field, too. And the defense played very well, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. I, I want to give them all the credit in the world. But you are seeing uh, missed tackles. You are seeing a couple of blown assignments. Obviously, those touchdown plays being primary examples. Because both, both of the touchdown plays were big plays. They, they weren't sort of methodical down the field. There was really only one methodical drive in this entire game, and it was the opening drive. After that, TC's defense did clamp down, but they just made some mistakes down the stretch. In, in big spots, unfortunately, that ended up costing them. And then offensively, the offensive line just dealing with injuries, they haven't been able to do it very consistently. Um, and, and again, Robinson's inconsistency means that teams aren't necessarily respecting his passing ability. So where do you go from here? Well, you have Oklahoma who comes into town next week who's, what, <laughs> averaged, I think, more points per game this season than TCU scored in the last three games, 48 Oof. points per game, Oof. opposed to just 47 for TCU in the last three total. Um, so that's going to be a uphill task, to put it lightly. Um, yeah, but really, I mean, you got to just I, – I don't even really know, honestly. It's kind of hard to even fathom that TCU is having all these problems considering what we were told they were going to be. And, um, you know, going forward, uh, you got to win at home, which, you know, obviously tonight's their first loss um, at home in almost two years. So that's a pretty wow. pretty big, uh, you know, glaring punch on the resume right there. No doubt. Um, Last time was the last game of 2016 against K-State. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's got to be some spark in the locker room. I don't know what it will take. Um, maybe you have that rally cry, that rally speech from somebody. But, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of just blocking out what happened and hopefully uh, getting rid of the turnovers, uh, making more smart plays, and uh, just putting them together a full, full four quarters of football. And TCU has had a hard time doing that the last uh, few weeks. Well, you've been closer to the program over the past couple of years than I have, of course. Uh, does this have some shades of 2016 to it? I think it does for sure. I mean, that was a, a year where TC only won, I think. They won six. Two, six games, at, two games at home, though. I want yeah. to say it was – I oh, think wow. the only games they won at home were Iowa State and 
um, South Dakota State to begin the year because they only lost once on the road at West Virginia. They were pretty good on the road, but it certainly is, you know, one of those years where they've had a lot of games that they've lost. They've been pretty close. I mean, Texas aside, they could have beaten Ohio State if they had not had that disastrous minute in the third quarter. Uh, they could have won tonight easily if they hadn't uh, made a few mistakes. So it definitely does. And, I mean, for all we know, too, maybe we get a close one against OU because that the same year it was a pretty uh, tightly contested ball game. Uh, though OU did kind of pull away, but then TCU came back. So, I mean, it definitely does feel like that, uh, probably more so than it does 2013, per se. Um, and and even, even that year, too, Tech, the game was close. It was, I think, 17-17, actually, and went to overtime before Tech won in that year as well. Uh, so it definitely does feel that way. And, I mean, maybe that means next year Sean is good because, Kenny, that was his bad year. And For then sure. uh, things kind of clicked a year later. So um, that's the one positive I could say if it is a repeat of 2016. But um, you have to wonder now, I mean, is TCU going to even – I mean, I would think they'll be bowl eligible, but it could be close. Yeah. Uh, it might not be any cupcake to get to the bowl game now at this point now that you have teams like OEU, West Virginia, even Oklahoma State who has been relatively inconsistent on their own ends. Uh, still to come, and uh, thankfully the Frogs get two of those at home, but uh, in the Big 12 where there's a lot of parity this year, uh, no game is going to come easy, and that's something that Gary has said repeatedly this year, that uh, every game you just got to win by one point, and uh, the Frogs didn't do that tonight. Well, I think everybody coming into the year assumed that Texas Tech was going to be a win, and look, Texas Tech deserves all the credit because it's not that part of it is that TCU's maybe a little worse than we expected, but Texas Tech yeah, a little worse than we expected, but Texas Tech looks really dang good. I mean, whatever you want to say about how their offense performed tonight against a very good defense, they were playing with their third-string quarterback, um, and they made some offensive line switches too. They lost Travis Breath for a little bit throughout the game. And they, their defense managed to step up. And I know that TCU's offense hasn't been consistent, but they had better performances against Ohio State, for example. So if you were saying that, you know, Texas, Ohio State, and Texas Tech were going to have similar performances against TCU's offense. I don't think anybody would have seen that coming into the year. No. And like you were saying, too, I mean, I think most folks thought maybe Tech would even just have three wins. Yeah. I mean, think if Alan Bowman had played tonight. I mean, I don't know where this game would have gone. Right. With the numbers he's put up. Um, but, yeah, it certainly has been a very weird year in the Big 12 to begin. I mean, even Texas, too, defeating Oklahoma, I don't think many folks thought that was going to happen. No. no, um, no. After the outlook that we had entering the year. And uh, certainly OU is far from uh, out of the picture entirely. But it definitely has been a weird year in the Big 12. Uh, no really clear-cut um, contender anymore at this point with Texas now being back, quote-unquote. Um, West Virginia, I mean, it's still hard to say what they're going to do. They've looked pretty good under Will Greer, but there's been times where he hasn't looked as great as we thought, like last week uh, at home against Kansas. So, um, yeah, I mean, TCU, I think, can maybe have a little bit of hope knowing that, you know, any given Saturday things can happen. But uh, – with the way that the offense has sputtered um, almost unfathomably, it's uh, definitely going to be um, a lot of questions moving forward and a lot of um, just uh, unknowns, really, yeah. to put it lightly. Yeah, well, I do want to talk about Texas Tech because at this point now, uh, they weren't projected to come in and beat TCU. They weren't projected to go and beat Oklahoma State. Whatever you want to say about what they did in the first quarter against West Virginia, they looked really good the last three quarters of the game, especially in the second half. Um, Texas Tech has been a team over the past couple seasons under Cliff Kingsbury, really since 2013 when they won their first seven games. They've been a team that's really just been fighting for bowl eligibility every single year. And now, all of a sudden, you move to, I can't remember if it's four or five, I think it's four wins right now, but you have a lot of winnable games left on that schedule. You've still got Baylor left to play. Uh, they haven't played Kansas as yet. 
I don't think they played Kansas State as yet either. So, no, they have not. Yeah, and so all of a sudden you have a bunch of winnable games ahead of you. Do you think that Texas Tech has turned a corner? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it definitely does, I think, at least in the sense that, okay, you know, we thought that maybe this would be a really rough year that would get, get Cliff, you know, fired, and now it looks like he's probably going to be just fine, um, you know, through mid-October so far. But um, I don't know. So it's like, I mean, if Bowman had not gotten hurt and he was still playing and he – put up the numbers he showed against Houston, then, yeah, I think we could say that maybe they've turned the corner. And granted, they have Oklahoma and Texas at home, and, you know, weird things happen in sure. at night if they get any games at nighttime. So, I mean, certainly come the end of the year, we could say that if Tech has a few ranked wins, uh, they already have Oklahoma State at the time, uh, then maybe, you know, in, in that sense, they could turn a corner. I mean, it's not quite back to how it was during the Leach era by any means, but um, certainly I think spirits are very high in Lubbock. Uh, considering what people may have thought would be the case uh, this fall. So in that sense, there's certainly been a lot to cheer about, and I think that's a really, uh, you know, happy time for everybody out there in West Texas. Yeah, well, I, I was standing by the tunnel when this game ended and when everybody was filing out, and the biggest cheer of the day was when Cliff Kingsbury ran into the tunnel. Nobody at Texas Tech wants Cliff Kingsbury to be gone. Everybody wants him to succeed. They, and I really mean that, you know, that he's a favorite son of that city. Um, you know, obviously being a quarterback all those years ago, having that immediate success, nobody wants him to be gone. And again, last year, if they lose to Texas, he is gone. I mean, yeah. he is gone. And that almost happened, too. That was it, that close it, to happening. It probably should have happened. So Sam Ellinger kind of gave him a gift. <laughs> oh, a huge, huge gift. And, and Nick Shimanek, he, he owes a lot to Nick oh, Shimanek right now. And so... But you see the success now. And again, I, I think that Texas Tech, granted, they have the success under Leach. They have the, this 2008 season where they're competing for the Big 12 and maybe more. But if, if, if Texas Tech is winning around eight games every single year, I think they take that, right? 100%, given what they've been used to. I mean, they couldn't even, what, get to really much of a major bowl with Patrick, with Patrick Mahomes on their team. Right. Uh, didn't they miss out? I think it was 2016 they only made one only bowl. with Patty Mahomes. That's pretty yeah. remarkable. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that, you know, they couldn't even get to there with that talent, and now he's gone, and they're finally making a bit of an uphill climb. I mean, that's a lot, uh, I think, to cheer about. And, um, you know, if, if Bowman is what he seems to be down the road and matures and gets even better than what he is right now, and he's there for all four years, then watch out because Texas Tech could be back and the years to come, and like you said, eight wins. Uh, I don't see why anybody would complain about that, given where the program's been yeah. the last uh, three, four years. Yeah, this, this really feels like the culmination in a lot of ways, uh, not just for Texas Tech as a program, but especially for that defense. Um, oh, yeah. You know, David Gibbs comes in. He's much blind. They've made real strides in the past two seasons especially. Now that they have Deshaun Johnson back, their defense looks a whole lot better than it did the first couple weeks. They, they joked, you know, Coming into the year, their mantra was finish strong. They said all of last week, start fast, start fast. And they were able to do that. 3-0 was actually their first uh, lead after a first quarter against an FBS team all season. That's right. So, look, I think there's a lot to be excited about uh, if you're a Texas Tech fan. But, um, again, it was, it was a crazy game, 17-14. to 14. I don't think anybody <laughs> expected that score coming into this one. But anyway, Dean, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at DWStrock at 49. 
You can find all of his work on sportspage.com. That's sptspage.com. You got it. Uh, you got to follow Dean if you're a TC fan. He's an absolute must follow. I want to say, too, 2018, I mean, Texas Tech basketball, baseball, and now football. I mean, yeah. it's a pretty good year for the Red Raiders, all things considered. Uh, and that could be uh, continuing on the next few years with uh, all that Chris Beard's doing on the hardwood and uh, now Cliff maybe for a few more years. Yeah, no and, doubt and beyond. about that. So it's no. definitely kind of surprising and kind of fun to watch. That transformation happened, too. Um, yeah. Kind of a sleeper team of the Big 12 and a lot of sports all of a sudden now is uh, excelling kind of the way TCU almost uh, sort of was of late with basketball on their eyes, baseball and football obviously all making statements. Definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. And, and that's a very passionate fan base. Actually, I, I mentioned a few weeks back that I got to make my first trip to Lubbock a few weeks ago. They, they love Texas Tech there. They love football there. I'm sure they can't be happier about what happened today. And, and hey, the real tests start now, but Tech is heading in the right direction. Well, Dean, thank you so much for joining us. When we come back after the break, we're going to go through a couple more games, uh, a couple big ones from the weekend. Again, right now it's Thursday. We don't know exactly what happened. All I know for sure is that Texas State apparently had a 61-yard run by their tight end. We'll talk about that and much, much more right after the break. Thanks again to Dean Straka for joining the program. He's a great follow on Twitter. If you're a TCU fan and you don't follow Dean, I don't really know what you're doing. You know, I just want to emphasize what, what we were talking about there, though. Uh, Texas Tech, the fact that they can win with defense now, the fact that they can win while scoring 17 points, that's brand new. Texas Tech actually hadn't won a game when scoring fewer than 20 points in the entire Cliff Kingsbury era. And they were only 4-15 and 15 when scoring less than 30 points. 30 points. That, that's a lot of points. And they were only 4-15 and 15 in those games on Thursday night. Again, it's only 17 points, but the Red Raiders come out on top. Huge victory for Texas Tech. Huge victory for Cliff Kingsbury, who most likely is off the hot seat for at least, you'd hope, the rest of the season, but maybe heading forward. Uh, great win for them, and now the schedule opens right back up. But moving on, this Baylor-Texas game ended up getting weird. So Sam Ellinger goes out in the first quarter, and that happens. But a year ago, Shane Bouchelle torched Baylor to the tune of 300 all-purpose yards and uh, in a pair of touchdowns in a 38-7 victory at McLean Stadium. So whatever you want to say about Ellinger going out, and obviously Texas is the better team. I don't know why anybody would think that I'm questioning that. Um, but, but Baylor played really, really well down the stretch. And Charlie Brewer was the centerpiece of all of that. He's so good on third down. He might be one of the best quarterbacks in college football on third down because he just buys time. He finds a receiver. The receiver is almost always either past the first down marker or in space. And he just manages to keep the chains moving with that. Baylor actually had a couple of drives that were longer than 10 plays, including both of their scoring drives. So Brewer is able to keep the ball moving down the field, and when he's able to keep doing that, it keeps Texas at bay. Now, 23-17 to 17 is the final, but Baylor actually had the ball on the 12-yard line with fewer than 12 seconds left on the clock, had a couple throws into the end zone. Unfortunately, nobody can come up with them, but it was a fantastic finish. And, and again, this Baylor team is starting to figure it out a little bit. Whatever you want to say about uh, Texas playing without Ellinger, they're still a really good football team. They can run the ball at a high level now that the offensive line has taken a step forward. They're one of the best defenses in all of college football. And man, it's Baylor's still, still only a couple plays away from maybe pulling off that victory. So huge afternoon for Baylor. Uh, and 
They'll have to now see whether they can keep that momentum heading forward. That's going to be the key. They have to win some of these next games. TCU looks beatable. Oklahoma State surely looks beatable. If you can win those two games, that's a bowl. Iowa State looks a little bit tougher than that, and Texas Tech looks a lot tougher than that, but those are winnable games too, especially considering the kind of success that Baylor's had against those teams in the past. So a bowl game really isn't out of the, the realm of possibility for Baylor based on what we've seen from them so far this season. Well, the other game that I went to, I went to, to Fort Worth on, on Thursday night to go see Texas Tech versus TCU, but I also traveled to Denton, Texas on Saturday, and I joke about this in my extra points, the, the weekend roundup that I have on TexasFootball.com, but UNT didn't exactly uh, bring their best for me to see when I came up to see my first game at Apogee Stadium on Saturday. Uh, UNT dominated Southern Miss. 30-7 to was the final, but the most impressive thing about this game to me is that they were able to win in ways that we haven't necessarily seen them win before. So UNT, their defense really stepped up in a big way. Uh, Southern Miss is actually one of the best offenses in, or sorry, excuse me, one of the best defenses in the entire group of five and in all of college football. I think they rank they ranked number eight in total defense heading into this game. So you knew that it wasn't going to be a very high-scoring game. That was obvious. Uh, but UNT, with their offense kind of struggling and not really able to move with much consistency, the defense stepped up. They actually posted 14 tackles for loss and four sacks. So they were consistently winning at the point of attack. And it was, it was the defensive line. It was Ladarius Hamilton. Had a great game. But EJ Ajia just continues to be one of the most underrated linebackers in all of college football. He finishes with four, uh, excuse me, three tackles for loss on the day, which pushes his season total to 14. They only hold Southern Miss to seven points, and Southern Miss is a prolific offense. Quarterback Jack Abraham is one of the better ones uh, in Conference USA. He does finish with over th uh, 300 passing yards, but UNT is able to take away the run game almost completely. Overall, they finished with fewer than two yards per carry, and even sack adjusted, it was still only 3.3 yards per carry. So, very impressive effort from UNT's defense, and for a while, it was 10-7. It was for a while, this game was 10-7, and UNT was able to make enough plays to still keep it within reach to keep it to keep their narrow lead and eventually finally in the second half the offense gets going a little bit more and DeAndre Torrey is able to break away for a couple of those touchdown runs to really ice the game and and turn a close game into a blowout in the fourth quarter but this is what UNT needs to do they need to be able to win games in different ways uh, that's what great teams do and we talked about it a little bit with Texas Tech but with the offense not going your defense has to step up. Your special teams has to step up. And that's exactly what we saw from UNT on, uh, on Saturday afternoon in Denton. And look, Mason Fine is good enough that he can go out there and win you football games. But you can't ask him to do that every single week. And finally, finally against, uh, against Southern Miss, they don't ask him to do that, and they're not only able to win the game, they're able to put away the game, they're able to dominate a very good, a very consistent Southern Miss squad. So that's exactly what you wanted to see from UNT over the weekend. That, that's exactly what you were hoping to see. And they come up, in, uh, they come up big in a big spot, and 
now, <laughs> UNC is bowl eligible. They're 6-1, bowl eligible already after just seven weeks of the season. And I was talking to Seth Luttrell after the game. He was just like, sure, I guess, you know, yeah. I congratulate my team on being bowl eligible. And they just kind of looked at me because that's, the, that's expectations now. It, it's not an achievement to make a bowl game in Denton. It's, it's expectations, which is such a huge step based on where they were just a few years ago. Seth Luttrell really has this team rolling. And even after today's game and even after two kind of poor perform performances the last two weeks, uh, UNT, they still look like they have a great shot to win Conference USA. So we'll have to see what exactly happens from here. But, but UNT sure looks like the team to beat. But next week, they'll really get tech, uh, tested. They're going on the road to play against UAB. And UAB sits in sole position of the Conference USA West division. It's going to be a big game for them. And honestly, UNT can't lose this game if they want to win the conference. It's going to be very hard for them to fight back and win the conference if they lose this game against UAB. Moving around the state, Texas A&M beat South Carolina 26-23. Not a very convincing victory, but a victory nonetheless. I think that anybody will take a bad victory over a good loss. Uh, Kellen Mond explodes for over 350 passing yards, but the rushing game can't get going, and the defense is just a little too inconsistent against South Carolina. But luckily, they eke out the victory, and now they continue ahead in their SEC schedule. Houston finally put together the defensive performance that we've been hoping from them. They went 42 to, uh, to 20 against East Carolina, but 14 of those points, and really almost half of East Carolina's total yards, came with fewer than 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Houston took a 42 to 6 lead because, uh, thanks to a great offense performance, and the defense finally did show up. Ed Oliver finished with five tackles for loss against East Carolina, against the Pirates. That's the sort of thing that we've been expecting from him. That's exactly what we need to see from him heading forward. Uh, because, again, Ed Oliver is the best player in college football. And I know he's being double and triple teamed, but sometimes you've just got to break through those and you've just got to make something happen. And he absolutely did that in a big way against East Carolina. Texas State came really dang close to winning a football game. But unfortunately, they can't convert on the two-point conversion, and they fall 15-13 to to Georgia Southern. And <laughs> look, it's a cliche in college football that you need to give the ball to your best player, and good things will happen. But tight end Keenan Brown is Texas State's best player, and it's not really that close. They gave him the ball twice on running plays. So on an end around, Keenan Brown comes around the left edge, he has the ball in an end around, and he runs 61 yards down the field against a good Georgia Southern team. <laughs> 61 yards for a tight end. I was talking to, uh, to my colleague, Ish Johnson. He's a Texas State grad, and he's like, look, there's one thing that we can do. There's one thing that we have. <laughs> Keenan Brown is one of the best tight ends in college football, and easily, I'd say, probably the best in Texas, although Jay Sternberger had a great game for Texas A&M last week, but... I think that you could make the argument that Keenan Brown is the best tight end in the state of Texas. And you give him the ball twice, he goes 61 yards at the sideline, and then he runs it in for a touchdown. Maybe you should give the ball to Keenan Brown a whole lot more. <laughs> he actually, I think, ranks like top five in the country among tight ends in, in receptions and receiving yards. So they're doing a good job of it, but they need to find a way to get him the ball more because he's the one thing offensively that they really have going for them. 
Unfortunately, it's not quite enough. They fall 15 to 13, but credit to them for making that comeback and, and giving themselves at least a shot at the game. UTSA and Rice, though, uh, there, there's not a whole lot of nice things to say about them. Both of them got absolutely pantsed by conference opponents. Uh, UTSA lost 31 to 3 against Louisiana Tech. Rice lost 35 to 0 to UAB. And with Rice, it's not great, but there are excuses today. I mean, Emmanuel Sukba went out. Sean Stankovich went out. You're you're missing your two best offensive players. So you know you go on the road against a really really good UAB team. Things happen. Now UTSA losing 31 to three to Louisiana Tech. It's hard to defend that. It's really hard to defend that because. Frank Wilson is in his third year. We talked about it at length on our grade show last Wednesday, and that was a great show with Greg Tepper, so you should, you should really check that out if you haven't listened to it as yet. That's, I think, one of the better episodes that we've done so far. But, again, Louisiana Tech, 31-3. to UTSA has to find some offense. They just do. It's year three. You can't keep making these excuses but it's, when it's year three for Frank Wilson. They're supposed to be better than this. And their defense continues to be pretty good in the front seven. Their secondary did get torched by Louisiana Tech, but they were good in the front seven. They held them to just two yards per carry. But the issue was UTSA couldn't get anything going on the other end. In fact, running backs B.J. Daniels and Jalen Rhodes, the two top running backs and two top offensive players on UTSA, went 10 carries for 19 yards, 1.9 yards per carry. And again, that's running backs. That's not taking into account sacks. That's not taking into account any other worse running backs or pullback dives or broken plays or anything. That's two running backs who got the ball and ran 10 times and they finished with 19 yards. What are you supposed to do with that? And, and it's not their fault. I just want to be clear. Again, Daniels and Rhodes are the two best offensive players on UTSA. But when you can't pass the ball at all, it's bad. You can't do anything. There's there's nothing that you can bank on. And and Cordell Grundy has just not been good enough. Uh, he actually finished with like 190 passing yards, but he averaged like less than five yards per pass attempt. I mean, I, I just don't know where you go from here for UTSA because I don't think the quarterback play is going to get a whole lot better. And defensively, the defense can only do so much because the front seven's very good and the back four are okay. They're okay. And against teams like Louisiana Tech, that's not good enough. And, and you look at UTSA's schedule, it's not going to get any easier from here, right? I mean, they still have to play UNT. That's, ugh, that's going to be a brutal game. Luckily, they get them the last week of the year at home, but that's still a brutal game. They have to go on the, the road to UAB. They have to play FIU. They have to play at Marshall. They have to play at Southern Miss. Will they be favored in any game heading forward? They might be underdogs in every single game from here on out. And like I mentioned, this is year three for Frank Wilson. A lot of people saw him as a hot uh, head coaching candidate, especially at the Power 5 level, if he could get something going at UTSA. But that, that just hasn't happened yet. I don't know. It, it's a disappointing performance for me. I don't know what to expect from UTSA heading forward. Again, with Rice losing 35-0 to zero to UAB, it's bad. It, it feels real bad. It looks real bad. That's not what you want. But Rice is a team in year one of a rebuild, of a total identity shift. So Rice losing 
you know, it, it sucks. It, it sucks for their fans. It sucks for their players. But they're going to look back on this game and remember, you know, we went, to, we went and lost 35-0 to UAB. We got absolutely torched. We weren't even close. And they're going to look back at this game and be like, this was when it started. This was the starting point. This was when we decided that enough was enough and we got to be better than this. And they will be. They'll be better for this. But oh, a pair of really tough losses this, this weekend. And, and really a bunch of bad losses across the state uh, for, for the state of Texas. But at the same time, you know, this is, this is what happens when you have four of the bottom 10 teams in college football. And at this point, I don't think that any of Rice, Texas State, uh, UTSA, or UTEP has proven that they're anything much more than that. And that's sad, but we'll kind of have to see what they are heading forward. We could uh, at, at least, you know, like we've mentioned, UTEP has a new coach. They've showed flashes. Rice has a new coach. They've showed flashes. Texas State and UTSA, it's year three for both of their guys. So we got to start seeing something soon, or we might not see these guys for very much longer. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for joining me. You can find all of my work at texasfootball.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Shahan Jayaraja at S-H-E-H-A-N-J-E-Y-A-R-A-J-A-H. Did you get it? Okay. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. And we've got some great content coming up in the next couple of weeks. We'll be talking plenty about Texas Tech. We'll obviously stay right on top of UNT. And Texas and Texas A&M, those are the torchbearers of, uh, of this state, right? So... We'll be all over them. Once again, I've been Shahan J. Roger for Dean Straka of SportsPage.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday.